Welcome to the Pod on Point podcast, a podcast about sports, business, and the business of sports. I'm joined today with my co-hosts, Mike McPhee in Denver and Anand Punjabi in London, England. And today we will focus on golf, sports revenue in the time of COVID, and gambling. We'll focus on Callaway's acquisition of Top Golf. We'll take a look at the Fall Masters Tournament, which kicked off this week, and Bryso DeChambeau's impact on the game. We'll talk about the impact sports gambling we have on our lives and sports in general and try to draw from examples in the UK. And finally, we'll take a look at the changing landscape of revenue generation across global sports. Stick around and let us know if we're on point. Gentlemen, we're back. We're back. How's everyone doing? Fantastic. Doing excellent. Mike, how is Notre Dame? How's Notre Dame doing, Mike? Hey, man. Beat that number one. Lit up the number one sign on top of Flanner Hall. Fantastic yeah. week. It's been yeah. a while. Long time coming. Did um, What happened to those kids rushing the field? Not uh, not the smartest thing at this time, this day <sighs> yeah. and age, Mike. Yeah, that <laughs> happened. Um, you know, they're, they're working on herd immunity. They're, they're a test case. <laughs> they're going to see if they can get yeah. there quicker than everyone else. Yes, so. they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> I heard the Swedish prime minister has uh, has flown in, especially to give lectures on how that all works. Okay, there we go. <laughs> did, it, did it bring their <laughs> did it bring their health minister also? Uh, no, no, she has COVID. Oh, <laughs> of course she does. Well, Notre Dame's president got COVID at that White House event, you know, back about forty five days ago. So he's oh, got so, herd immunity oh, so too. Did he? Did he yeah. officially get it? Yeah. So. Um, oh, interesting. It's uh. Interesting, yes. But back to the game. They won. They knocked off the number one Clemson Tigers, and that was just so much fun. So it was good. All right. Touchdown. Jesus came through. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. All right. Well, you want to kick us off, Mike? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to get into some golf stories here, so this is going to be fun. So Callaway Golf is in the news. Um, and, they, and they have a major acquisition, and also uh, they've had some really good um, re- um, revenue readouts. Um, so that first one, just a function of the pandemic, we've all seen the stories where, um, you know, in recent years, golf has has not been on a precipitous decline, at least to my knowledge, but it certainly hasn't been a growth industry. And then since pandemic, you had a shutdown for probably one to two months here, at least domestically, and then golf courses is just shot through the moon and and Callaway golf being you know just primary player in that space they've had a record quarter up 12 percent year on year um and that that pandemic has certainly provided some real tailwinds for this industry and so the overall industry apparel um apparel gear uh, rounds it's all up into record q3 sales so that's really been an interesting angle to this but, but Mike, I have, a, I have a quick question there. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Are, did, did they state where how their revenue broke up? Was it was it just from you know their clubs? Uh, like what what where, where did this come come from? Well, up until now, up until this next part of the story, they've mostly just been a a clubs and apparel business. They have some other ancillary revenue drivers, but that's where they get their core revenue. Um, I think they probably have some consulting businesses and they might consult with some, some course design or software design or something like that. I'm not particularly familiar with what they're getting it from. Um, but I know with this, this next angle in their acquisition of top golf, they're going to be an entertainment venue as well. So, uh, so let's dig into that. And that, that was just announced this week where, 
uh, Top Golf um, has announced that they're being acquired by Callaway Golf, and just a, just a really brilliant move, I believe here. But the origin story is even interesting about Top Golf. So the two brothers in Watford, England, a suburb of London, probably not far from you there, Anon, um, in London. Um, they were 15 yeah, minutes, in, 15 in the minutes. La- I've been to that top golf a few have times. You? So in the late nineties, yep. these guys were, they were just frustrated with a driving, driving range experience, just two brothers. Um, and, and they discovered you could place a chip inside of a golf ball. Um, that's a while back, right? To place a chip inside of a golf ball. And 20 years later, you know, top golf is an overnight success. You know, they've got the whole suite of things, full line kitchens, bars, media platforms with games for all ages, skill levels. And, and the center point being this golf ball with a chip in it, which, um, you know, enables, you know, distance, speed, spin, all the different stuff for you to track it. Um, real time feedback, real time feedback. And, and, and this company, 2019 revenues pre pandemic, they grew at 30% compound annual growth since 2017. So they're just booming. Um, and, and we know kind of where some of these placements are. I know here in Denver, I got two of them on, I might say not prime real estate. It's probably perfect for these guys right next to the freeway. I've seen in other parts of the country, they're landing these things next to the freeway. So they've got a smart real estate strategy. It's wonderful entertainment for all ages, uh, corporate outings, midday, end of day. It's just, guys, are you guys top golf guys? Have you, have you been to them and you're where you guys call home? I've been to, I've been to top golf. Anand, do you have Mike? Have you been to top golf? I've been a couple times. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a golfer and, um, you know, I probably didn't go to top golf until my kids were old enough to kind of mess around with their little clubs. And then it became an entertainment thing. It was an outing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, as you've just pointed out, it wasn't just a boring driving range with, uh, you know, uh, a ball machine and, you know, crappy green baskets. It was really a multimedia entertainment yes. venue, you know, you know, 200 items on the food menu, uh, uh, draft beers on tap curated, like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for with the small breweries, like really nice micro, drinks, like micro breweries, co- micro breweries, yeah. cocktails, uh, so much so that this summer, you know, during, you know, semi lockdown, when these outdoor facilities were open, we were looking at three and four hour lines to get into top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. it. It was, there was that popular. So I think, I think this makes, makes a lot of sense for, for Callaway. They're going to brand Callaway all, all over the place. Presumably all the rental clubs that you pick up when you go there will be Callaway. It's a brilliant play. It's a brilliant play. Yeah, I think in the in the sort of in the parlance of uh, of you know Professor Scott Galloway who who talks about some of these things. Scott I think this is a gangster Galloway? move. Not not Callaway. Yeah. Not not Callaway. Galloway. That's huh? right. Okay. That's right. Very yeah. Nice. I think this is this Very is nice. a gangster move as <laughs> as he would as he would describe it. You know, I mean, think about it. This is you know an an old you know an old legacy sport that probably wasn't growing that much um it's been around forever i mean this name has been around forever right and now they're going horizontal right so they're going after an audience after a market that they didn't you know previously have because mm-hmm. you know e- e- even though all of us pub, you know play golf i i think anand you probably play the most in this in this group i mean i own clubs is what i say when people ask me if i play golf but you know, you go to this place, and and I've been to the one in Miami of 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 all places. 
And it's, you know, the demographic could not be more diverse. I mean, this is like an outing, right? right. People are there for birthday parties. People, like, like the last thing they're there is to hit balls, I think. They're there just to kind of enjoy being outdoors and being outside and, um, and, and to have fun. And I think for them to, you know, a- expand this brand into, into this sort of more kind of general public area, I think is brilliant. And, and especially for, for something that's auxiliary already to the sport, mm-hmm. um, in which case, like you said, they can extend it into all kind of retail opportunities and, and really, really make this into uh, something, you know, very significant. Yeah, I think they're gonna. When you just put the the fiscal lens on it, they they've acquired a fifty one percent share. I think top line as you look at this portfolio of two companies now coming together, Callaway and and and, and Top Golf, they're gonna go. They're gonna double in size. This thing's, you know, they each were about one and a half to two billion dollar ventures. They're gonna double right away, uh, and and then you just see this thing continuing to grow. I think the other angle, Vlad, you just surfaced was like the diversity of the crowds, and I'd argue the the time that we're all time constrained you, you can go have fun for 60 or 90 minutes and you're good you know what's a golf what's a golf round time out the door to the time you come back what yeah, five, five six hours, hours? Yeah. Yeah. um oh, if you don't if you don't live by the golf course it's it's half a day it's a half a day yeah yeah and so here you can go with a bunch of different crowds you can take your kids you can go with the guys you can go with your co your workers co-workers right and so it's um i think it's a brilliant move by callaway um they had they were an original investor um, in, in the, in the mid two thousands and they just upped their share and, and here they are, they own a 51% share, Smart. Uh, share and, and they're in charge. So Smart. And, good and, move Callaway. And by the way, all of us have been to one of these. So we know that this is not cheap either. Right. I mean, this is, this is, this is an up market, uh, play for them and for the audience that they get at top golf as well. Right. So this isn't, this isn't thin margin kind of, kind of, kind of stuff. And, and I think the instant feedback with the, with the chip in the ball is also brilliant. I mean, when you know you and I, when, you know, when 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 we play golf, you hit the ball and you kind of have an idea where it is, but you got to sort of walk to it <laughs> to really get that insight into you know where your next move is. This tells you right away, like it gives you little totally. targets. You know, you you, you kind of know real time what is what is happening, right? Well, Absolutely. yeah. The interesting thing with this technology is it actually caters to um, a very broad audience. We've talked about the people who maybe don't play golf who are coming really for, for an afternoon or an evening of entertainment. Listen, they're all licensed bars there. Okay. So the sky's the limit as far as this type of revenue goes, because margins on alcohol are huge as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are going to go there. They go in groups, they cater to groups. It's like going to a nightclub. I mean, it literally is in many ways, like going to a nightclub, there's music, there's lighting, you know, and then what they've done with the chip in the ball is yes, you can have all these funky games, you know, the 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 driving range is lit up, the targets are lit up with neon right. lights, and if you hit right. certain things, fireworks go off and that type of thing. So for the people who are using as an entertainment venue, it's tons of fun. For the more serious golfer, even if you go in the daytime, for example, you don't want all those those nightclub uh, environment situations. 
you can get that feedback on improving your game because yeah. you know exactly where the ball's gone, whether it's spun back, you know, the ball flight, the spin rate, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of pro technology going in and, there as well. And nothing stops you from inserting golf pros in here during the day. So if you want to come in and learn to play golf, you know, there could be, you know, a lower level position where you can work on your swing and it becomes a great retail strategy for them because they can fit you right there with the right set of clubs, right? Beautiful. You can, you can walk out with, you know, whatever you want. So I, this is, you know, again, a gangster move. Similar, Gangster. I would argue, to the <laughs> to the to the Apple opening up their retail presence, and and I I, I think it's going to change the landscape uh, of uh, of uh, you know what they're doing. Good. Well, on I can't them. wait for December second when lockdown ends here because I know where I'm going uh, on that day. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You to know, get that, a beer, not that, to play golf. There you go. <laughs> that 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 ten dollar bucket of balls over at that open field by us is there. They're going to be hurting. <laughs> That's true. All right, gents, that's a fun one. Anand, I think you're up with our next one, my friend. Well, it's like uh, um, golf is is one of the themes uh, for this week, and it's Masters Week. Uh, Many golf fans, uh, it's the favorite week of the year because we're playing at uh, the legendary Augusta National. Yep. Um, And it's an unusual one. You know, everyone associates the Masters here in the UK and in Europe really with the start of the golf season because it's in April um you know the clocks have changed we have more daylight Mm -hmm. the weather's better and for the fair weather golfers who don't play in the winter well you know the masters is considered the time when they get fired up they see the pros playing really well and they and they start their golf season but now because of the pandemic you know it's a new world things have changed and we're playing in november for the first time yeah Mm -hmm. another first is we have no fans just like with nearly every other Mm -hmm. sporting event around the world uh if that event is is uh, is actually taking place, we have no fans. So the dynamic at Augusta this week is going to be hugely different. You know, weather is a factor, and that always uh, comes into play uh, yeah. during golf tournament. And secondly, the fans are not around. So even if you take away the point about atmosphere, uh, noise, and pressure, all of a sudden, some of these players are going to be hitting in directions where... They were unable to before because there were thousands of people lining certain lines of sight on the fairway. Oh, sure. So, right. Changes so all now, the well, they're, they're, as they're, well. they're, yeah. This is it. You know, there are no there there are no fans. You know, going twenty thirty yards wide of a particular line over a fairway. So they're just gonna they're gonna maybe try something different. I think this week is going to be very very interesting. Some we're going to see some golf that we've never seen before. Um, at this major tournament, yeah. Are, what's the what's the number of people that can actually go and watch this? Um, I'm looking at some numbers. They're estimating somewhere between thirty five to forty thousand people used to yeah. uh, watch between Thursday and Sunday. That was kind of the number from from the past. Is that is that what you guys? Well, it's it's definitely too few because I've been. <laughs> entering the ballot for the masters for the last 15 years okay. and have come up dry every year so uh and 20 2021 ballots come and done and come and gone so if you guys have any tips if anyone out there has any tips on how to get tickets for 22 yeah uh, you know please 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 contact us via the show notes well i'm yeah. i'm 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 also asking because it's it's sort of interesting you know they're they have no no attendance i think this is probably the the one tournament you know even with 35 40,000 people i mean that's not a lot um maybe it's a lot you know watching you that might be there. per day that might be per day um because it, it i know the british open gets a couple hundred thousand over the course of the whole week. yeah this this mentions this mentions you know 
I'm you know looking at some you know Google search here uh, that estimates this is the number um, during the tournament rounds from Thursday through Sunday. Okay. So, so I okay. don't know, but but my so point not big numbers. Yeah, but but my point is, I, I I doubt that this club makes money off of that. I think it sort of covers some of the costs of some some of the expense of the organization. I I think they were also known um, throughout throughout the last you know you know several decades like you know sandwiches like two dollars and a drink was like a dollar yes, right yes, so they're yes, they're not yes. they're not making they're probably making most of their money just through memberships in general and then possibly through the uh tv rights i mean essentially that's uh, tv rights yeah, will be the big yeah, yeah. one obviously and uh and sponsors tents you know there's a lot of sponsor big yes, corporate sponsors yeah. well this yes week, so. so that could be yeah that could be that that softened obviously for this year yeah. So this week, um, or rather this this golfing calendar this year, you know, the 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 current talk of the golfing world is of course um, Bryson DeChambeau, um, who's really you know torn things up this season uh, on the PGA Tour. Um, he's the current U.S. Open champion um, and made a complete mockery of uh, winged foot, uh, mm -hmm. considered to be you know one of the toughest U.S. Open courses, and the U.S. Open is considered to be the toughest of the four majors anyway right previous tournaments at winged foot some winning scores uh have been six over par five over par seven over par you know over the past uh you know so many years that the tournaments played over here but bryson comes along shoots six under par wow beating the average winning score by about 10 shots wow, wow. and <laughs> and killing the field by six mm. you know i think whoever came second was 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 level par so he killed the field by six shots, and he shot maybe the lowest U.S. Open score ever. Certainly the lowest at wing foot. Mm. Uh, and then all of a sudden he's 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 tearing up he's tearing up the, the tour this year. He's had he's had uh, I believe nine other top ten finishes. He's made five million dollars this year. Um, oh, he's hot. He's hot. He is very hot. He's very hot. But his the the real story behind Bryson is how he is single handedly changing the way men's professional golf is being played he is spending most of his time working on hitting this ball as far as he can hmm. he's working on driver 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 when we went into lockdown uh or rather when we came out of lockdown and, and the tour started again in the summer he put on 45 pounds of muscle wow in the space of, in the space of two months so what? he was eating protein and hitting the weights, you know, during that period. We're going to learn some other stuff about him in about 10 years. That's, yeah. That's what? not human. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about this stuff last week in, yeah. terms of, in terms of what these guys are spending on their bodies, right? Right, right. Um, and we also talked about marginal gains. So bringing what we learned and what we talked about last week into, into what Bryson is doing, okay? He is working on his body tremendously, as we know. He's bulked up like a you know like a linebacker now um and he and his team have been tinkering with his tools he's he's got now a 40 in 48 inch driver which is the maximum allowed uh length of a of a shaft you can have yeah. uh, on the pga tour he's the only guy with this crazy long driver and he says that it's giving him club head and ball speed um of four to five miles per hour more than his already prodigious speed. Wow! Wow! Interesting. Yeah, uh, and this means 
I did I did some math on this. You know, funnily enough, I was watching uh, TV last night, and one of my old coaches from a club I used to be a member of, he was invited to talk about Bryson uh, on Sky Sports' master co Masters coverage. And he was saying, for every mile per hour of ball speed, you're looking at about 1.7 yards longer carry. Interesting. So now so Bryson is looking at going 10 yards longer with this new driver than what he's currently hitting. Mm-hmm. And he's currently hitting 10 yards longer than he was before lockdown. So he was already the longest driver on tour. He's taken that and surpassed all of them now by 10 yards. And if he actually uses his driver, he's just going to be hitting little lob wedges for his second shots wow. all over the course. So, and, and it's very controversial. Jack Nicholas says, hey, you know what? You know, it's making a mockery of the game. You know, the game is not about hitting driver and then just chipping and pitching, you know, 70, 80 yards after that. He's saying we should change the ball. We should get, we should, the pro should now have a golf ball that maybe travels 80 to 85% of what it used to, you know, to, to bring the game to like back. Like slow it to, down a little bit. To slow it Interesting. down a little bit. Interesting. So, yeah. So Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, ahead, Ron. thank you. I, I'm sorry, Mike. So one of the things that was very interesting about this, and um, Sports Illustrated just featured him on their cover. Um, their angle about him was that he's like into analytics. Like he's he's totally looking at this from a, from a very kind of you know numbers and how does he gain through numbers point of view, which is what we talked about last week and the week before, right? I mean, and which is super interesting, right? So he's he's really bringing like 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 a new perspective. Um, to to the game, and they talk about you know him scoring relatively high on the IQ test, not sort of Mensa level, but you know higher than average. Um, he also talks in an interview about you know his ability to kind of evaluate and you know you know you know make quick decisions. You know gives him gives him a marginal gain on uh, you know a, a, a number of different things throughout throughout the game. Um, so it's interesting that, that like you know that's how he's positioning this um, along you know not just not just practicing more. And one of the things that that they said in the article is he doesn't practice putting. He's like, mm. no, I've already learned how to do that. I don't I don't need to do that. <laughs> and, so, and so he's mm. he's all in on the you know on the on the long game, and he thinks putting is just one of those you know mechanical things that uh, he can just maintain. Yeah, th this guy. It's good. No, this guy, this guy is, a, he's an enigma. And I, I see a couple different angles here, gents. So, so hear me out for one moment. First off, he's working on his physique and, and, and he's putting on all this weight and that, that challenges all assumptions about flexibility and body types for golf. Now golf hasn't exactly had one body type. Tiger's kind of changed that all, didn't he? 20 years ago when he came in bulking up on the weights and a lot of the guys went from doughy to having to uh, hit the weight room themselves. Um, but so he's working on his physique and that's, that's one part of the story. I see another part to, that, that I think has draw some parallels and that's what are we doing with equipment here? And he's, he's pushing the boundaries. So I guess the rules are, I can go to a 48 inch driver, uh, you know, the, the length of, of the, of that driver. And if that's within rules, so he's pushing up against that, but we've heard of this in other sports. Do you guys recall last fall when there was the controversy around the running shoes that Nike was making yes. and the guys were using in the marathon? All, all the marathon and runners were, little, were coming in right, right, right at the top right. of the, the pile. They yeah. Were, 
knocking off time because there was yeah. more spring in the in the footbed. I think there was a carbon fiber insert. So so there's a lot of question around that. And then we had years back the swimsuits the guys were wearing in the Olympics yep. where it yep. was changing their drag and and they Correct. they've pulled those back and it just I don't have this answer. It just forces me to think aloud is this going to run up against that where the technology that is uh, that you can use changes the game completely. Now this week at the masters with no crowd, it's going to be bombs away because the jeopardy around the greens isn't there. Normally you got grandstands, right? Right on on. Yep. You've got crowds and it's 20 people deep. Well, there's yep. nobody yep. there now. And so that ball is going to play bombs away towards that green. That's um, right. So a couple angles here for me. And, and, and what I think the one that's going to be coming to question is the technology. Have we gone too far? Yeah. Your, your mention, Mike, about some of these things, you know, pulling, pulling back the, the sport and the, and the technology and on and what, what you talked about some, you know, Jack Nicklaus thinking they should, you know, change the weight of the ball. This reminds me a little bit of uh, when uh, Will Chamberlain came into basketball and started dunking, and nobody else could 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 you know dunk, <laughs> and then they actually yeah. outlawed dunking, yeah. right? Yeah. Which yeah. So- sounds laughable now, and I wonder if you know ten years from now it's going to be laughable that somebody was actually you know recommending providing a, a slower ball or taking out you know a certain driver. Uh, you know, I I think the game again, Mike. We talked about this earlier on when we. Uh, you know, some of the earlier shows, the the game needs to evolve. And it's obviously, you know, somebody like this is going to come in, they're going to push the boundaries. And if you're not moving with those boundaries, uh, that's not necessarily good for the game. So they should adopt this and just be happy that there's somebody, again, you know, putting focus on this, on this sport, because it's been a while since, since, you know, Tigers earlier's. Well, most of the pros are very happy with what Bryce is doing. I mean, they've actually come out in favor and said it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, this guy, he's working on his game. He's not just working on himself physically. He's there with his team. You know, his nickname is a scientist, right? So he's there in his lab, you know, hacking <laughs> right. away at grips. That's and he's right. grinding, yeah. he's grinding the, the, the sole of his clubs and all this other kind of stuff. That's his nickname, the scientist. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I think the thing about golf is, though, because it's such a huge amateur game, you know, millions of millions of amateurs play the game the equipment manuf- manufacturers are going to continue to make the make the clubs go farther straighter the balls are going to fly further it's up to the you know the uh, the USGA and the RNA the custodians of the rules of the game yeah. to decide what the pros can and cannot do. yeah yeah there there's no PGA there there's no PGA rule when you and I go on the course and we buy a 40 inch shaft driver right <laughs> no that's right that's right and, you know if uh, so they're they're gonna hey, sell it as a market to buy it correct hey t- tie it out tie out Anand's point here Callaway is gonna be putting those new clubs at the top golf you can test them there too and bombs away exactly they're gonna you know, need more real estate because it. they're gonna have to be they're gonna have to be buying more land for out the that back end driving yeah. range. Yes. that's right yeah that's good all right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, sports gambling, and we're going to also talk about uh, this intermediating revenue in sports. Vlad and I really enjoy doing the Pot on Point podcast, and we hope that you like listening to us gab about our favorite subjects, sports, pop culture, and business. We hope that you also learn something from our experiences and that we bring the forefront important news about the industries that in many ways shape our lives each and every day. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends, family members, and colleagues about it. Write a review and let us know what you think about our work and how we can make it better. 
You can also suggest stories that we should be picking up. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for your time, and thank you for letting us know how we can be on point. All right, we're back. We're back. So um, I'm going to kick us off here with a uh, story about sports gambling, and we've um, we've talked about sports gambling a few times on our on our on our show here. I think this is something that's going to live with us for for a while, whether we like it or or you know not. Um, um, you know, I, I I'm personally not a big fan of this. I I think we've all kind of expressed some uh, concern about what this means for the for the sport in general, what it what it means for you know society in general. But again, this train has left the station, and I and I think it's 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 going to be part of you know how sports is viewed in the in the future, for sure. Um, but having ha- having said all that, um, what I what I wanted to focus here, uh, what I wanted us to focus on here a little bit is kind of what what this is probably going to look like in in about you know five or you know seven years or so, um, and you know part of this comes from my personal observation uh, in other countries, uh, and then Anand, I would love to you know pick your brain also kind of exactly what it looks like in the UK because I think. Comparatively, um, it's another you know developed country, um, you know, in many ways similar to the way I guess you know U- U.S. is. So we can we can probably see a lot of things that are already happening in the U.K. possibly happen here too. So, you know, w- what I'm thinking will likely happen is we're going to have some kind of promulgation of betting places. They're going to become more ubiquitous and spread out you know, through cities, maybe around stadiums and things like that. Some are already pop, popping up and, you know, have been, quote unquote, successful in a, in a sense that they're, you know, bringing a lot of money. Um, we're probably going to see online sports betting be uh, everywhere. Uh, and this whole kind of notion of the gamification of gambling, we're, we're going to hear about that a lot. But, 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 you know, the point is that it you know, betting starts looking more like you're playing a game, right? Versus, you know, you, you know, some kind of a vice, right? And that that's an important aspect of where I'm heading with the with the story. Uh, but you know, you'll be able to bet probably on a slew of different things. Um, you may be even uh, able to bet on on you know things that you create on your own be- between your friends. So make make your own bets, which is which is now happening in the in the in in the UK. We'll likely start seeing more advertising. We've already seen some, you know, during the NBA Finals, but uh, you know, we'll likely see it even more on TV and radio and podcasting. And I'm betting that companies will probably start, you know, sponsoring teams. Uh, in some cases, maybe even youth teams. And Mike, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Nikola Jokic, the you know, the Denver Nuggets center. His youth mm-hmm. basketball team in Serbia has renamed to to a betting site, right? So this wow. is kind of yeah. where where things things are heading. Um, but you know, n- not to sound academic about this, I would love to hear your perspective on on just kind of give us an overview of what what this looks like in you know London today. Um, you know, it is very much an issue. And it's also not an issue. And let me explain what I mean by that. There are many betting companies operating in the UK, uh, dozens, you know, and new ones coming up all the time. Sports betting is very much embedded, and I mean genuinely intertwined with professional sport here in the UK. Now, just like in the US, there's a big horse racing culture, for mm-hmm. example, right? Sure. We've got tracks all over the place. And 
and OTB I mean, as well. People, Do you have OTB, what? which is off-track betting, right? That's that's. Oh yes, oh forever. yes, of yeah. course, of course. Yeah. Listen, we have these betting shops that that Vlad was describing everywhere. Yeah. In fact, you know, when when a when a when a when a suburb or a location or even a small neighborhood starts to go into decline, and the good retailers get out, right? Because the market's no good anymore. You know who comes in? Charity stores and betting shops. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. you know the neighborhood may not be may, may not be uh, the right place to invest when you start seeing more betting shops. So betting shops are everywhere. Oh. Online betting is everywhere. Advertising for gambling is just ubiquitous, and they are using every creative strategy possible to subconsciously uh, enter people's minds and remind them that hey you know watching sport is that much more fun if you've got a bet on it and these are even some of the actual vocabulary that comes out of the marketing you know it's not fun unless you know there's something there's something at stake so and and uh, anand you also mentioned in a in their sort of intermission of sports shows right they will have like a you know brought to you by or they will you know read off like you know the second half lines if you will right yes that's absolutely correct so let's say okay there's some sports with commercial breaks okay cricket for example um or if there's a natural pause sometimes in rugby you know there's an injury or something like that so they may go to commercial break soccer typically right at half time Mm-hmm. They'll go to commercial break mm-hmm. and there will be live odds on the screen of the next goal scorer, who's going to win, what the score is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But get this. Let's go. Let's go a stage further. I was driving in my car and on the weekend we had some Premier League matches and I was listening to a game that my team, my team wasn't playing, but I was listening to a game on the radio. And during the actual play, during the commentary, okay, um, and we just want to remind you that Bet XXX is our official betting partner, and you can currently get right. odds on West Ham winning three one at five to one, or it could be you know I don't know who they were playing Aston Villa coming back to tie the game three three at twelve to one. You know this this is this is, is the commentator by... actually stating yeah, yeah, this is the actual yeah absolutely one hundred percent yeah one hundred percent this is like this is like Jim Nance at the eighteenth of the masters you know with uh with Tiger Woods who has a putt to win it now it's a six foot eight putt and uh the odds right now according to draftkings is eighteen to one he's gonna make it and six to one he's wow. not gonna make it i mean yeah. can you imagine that happening but this and is what happens here that's just a small example i guess i guess when you think about that coming across the pond vlad we come i guess that's what's coming you're not gonna have to imagine it it's probably coming into our broadcast and into our homes through through the watching as well as on our phones, right? A hundred percent. And and I want to pick up on something you said, Anand. So 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 you said that this is an issue, but it isn't an issue. How how correct. how is it not? You know what 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 did you mean by that? That it's not an issue. Okay, correct. Thanks thanks for reminding me. So it's it's not an issue in that it's prevalent. It's part of the culture. Okay, everyone's got a friend who bets on sports. Um, uh, everyone's got a friend who's got multiple apps on their phone. Everyone's got a friend that's got an app that consolidates all the best odds from all the other betting companies. And then you just pick, you know, you just place the bet with this consolidator and they distribute that bet. So you get the best return, yeah. you know, for that particular bet. Um, so from that point of view, it's just prevalent and 
and it's 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 a given that that betting exists now is it an issue well it's an issue for the for the reasons that you know you are going to to discuss and all the problems that come with what you know really can become an addiction you know many people will will argue that gambling is a vice it's not it's not just something fun and something frivolous it's not just it's not yeah. just it's not just a game yeah and that's so that's the angle it is a big issue yeah and that's it that's, is a big issue yeah that that's the angle you that know, i'm kind of going with this and and mike yeah, tell you'll us you'll share a little bit more about this yeah, it's a big problem yeah mike tell us so in colorado right there there is online gambling uh th- does that include sports sports betting tell us kind of what what you're seeing because i think it's a little bit of a preview i think what maybe other states are going to see soon as well right i think that's right i think that's an interesting angle so for our listeners out there across the the 50 states and then overseas maybe overseas you've already got it but here across the u.s it's coming in a rapid way but colorado has it now uh, and what we see daily is is on on the rapid transit, so the light rail or on the buses, the signage across all of them is is FanDuel, it's uh, points bet, it's bet uh, opening bid is five hundred dollars. That so so they they give you a little teaser five hundred dollars to bet with, um, and it, and it's just become everywhere. And I think for for me the the things that come to mind as now a resident of Colorado is one we didn't we didn't get the chance to vote on this coming into the state. So there's been other things around voting with, uh, with casinos. Um, but we didn't vote on this. A legislator approved it. So, so that's one. And, and I throw a flag on that because I would have loved to see what the population would have said before this came, but it's here. And then secondarily, I think an, an immeasurable, um, is, is, Adults are going to do what adults are going to do. We used to have to travel to Vegas or wherever else to get legal betting, but it's now here and adults are going to make their choices. But this goes downstream to youth and this goes downstream starting at high school sports all the way down to the, you know, the youngest kids in our households. I think we've got eight and nine year olds just in across the three of us. And, and, and there to me, it, I don't know how to quantify what's going to happen to that group. They're going to grow up. If that's all they know. And, um, I, I'm throwing a flag on that too. And I think that there's, that has not been part of a dialogue. There's not been, Hey, Colorado, do you want legal betting in your state? Um, at all. That's, you know, that, that's not part of the dialogue and I'm, I'm throwing that flag. Yeah. And, and I've, and I've mentioned this also in one of our previous shows, I have a family member that's, you know, gone through, you know, this and, uh, you know, nearly lost everything, um, you know, and, you know, he's a senior, right? And I mean, this is, you know, you're, you're kind of faced with some of these, you know, really, really stark kind of choices in, you know, life sort of at the, at the tail end of all of your life. Um, you know, there is evidence that, 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 that this is not good uh, in, in, in so many ways. It, it's being sold a little bit as sort of a, well, here's a way for us to make money, meaning like, you know, the league or the team is kind of saying, you know, they're all stressed because, uh, you know, you know, viewership is down. People are not going to the games, so now they're looking at other sources of you know revenue. And gambling is kind of you know jumping in, saying, "Hey, we can help you there." And so, no wonder we saw you know the promulgation of you know you know gambling ads during the NBA Finals, for instance, right? Um, Mike, you and I talked about uh, University of Colorado partnering with a, with a local you know betting business there in you know Denver, right? Uh, they're actually going to give them. Um, 
like a you know a, a you know commission <laughs> to right. to sell bucks, this right bucks, uh, a converted, right and a and, user. and look uh, there's there's some data from um, from the UK and I'm citing UK because you know there there, there seems to be a movement there with uh, you know some high level folks who are who are pushing for this so um, looks like the the, the former ITV and BBC chairman Lord 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 Grade. Um, has been, you know, really kind of one on the forefront to 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 look for some ways to, you know, limit this. Um, he he was quoting a study that, uh, you know, about you know, uh, two hundred fifty thousand people, which doesn't seem like a big number in a country of seventy million, um, uh, but they, they are sort of deemed, uh, you know, problem gamblers, right? Uh, of that group, about a fifth of that group is children. Um, and it's affecting something like you know two million people uh, you know that are around them, right? Uh, so you know these may not seem big numbers, but again, it's a smaller it's a smaller subset, it's a smaller country, right? When you extrapolate that on you know three hundred three hundred plus million people, you know th- th- those numbers end up end up end up being you know pretty pretty big. I also worry what this does in terms of what kind of uh you know uh, what what does it do to sports in general right are, are we going to see more cheating are we going to see a sort of a degradation of of, of sports overall and kind of you know sports were always viewed as a as sort of a good thing right but now attaching it to something like gambling I, i'm not really sure that 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 makes makes a lot of sense what what do you guys think about that i don't know if the 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 gambling industry you know obviously targeting you and I consumers I'm not sure how that affects the integrity of of the sport itself um, yes of course there have been many instances certainly around the world in many sports where participants have indirectly placed bets on the sport that they're playing in maybe even in the matchup well or that, that, or directly against- or or directly because one of the things that I, I did find a study that 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 said that now gambling, for athletes is a bigger problem than alcoholism. So, um, so, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know, coaches gambling, players gambling, you know, referees gambling, throwing matches, right? I mean, this is, we've read about this stuff. But I think that's very much against the rules. That's for sure. Now, whether they find tricks, you know, by which to, to get away with, I think in tennis, for example, there were some low level players uh, in Europe in particular, I think an Italian guy, maybe, maybe I think it was a Russian Croatian player. Guy. Russian guy, you know, they, they, they maybe, you know, hit some double because you can bet on anything, right? You can bet on double faults. You can, you can bet on number of aces, your number mm-hmm. of games you win, number of mm-hmm. games you lose, set scores, that type of thing. So, yes, it, it, I'm sure it exists. Does it exist at the elite level? Maybe the le- level is is not really relevant. I don't know. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that there are very defined and strict rules against uh, participants gambling in their own sport, in their own league. Um, uh, but beyond that, if, if we do find that it starts to become more prevalent, and of course, that calls into so many questions, brings up so many, so many, so many potential problems. Yeah, I think for, for, for as a, as a, as a very interested sports fan, Vlad, what, what's changed for me is how rapid this has come uh, from almost no existence in the professional U.S. sports landscape to darn near everywhere you look. 
Yeah. And, um, and, and we've cited this in other shows where we said that, you know, just three to four years ago, the NFL had said, no way we're touching anything to do with gambling. We have the integrity of the game and these different things. And now they have the Las Vegas Raiders. They've got nearly every team partnering with uh, a, a betting shop. And it's all under the guise of two, th- two or three things. That is, one, it's, um, it, it's a chance for to bring uh, illegal gambling into gambling. Um, it's a chance for them to tap new revenue streams. Uh, and third, it drives fan engagement. And, and maybe all are true. Uh, I think that's maybe the harsh reality is maybe all are true, but at what cost? And, and that cost is probably not borne by the clubs. And that cost is probably not borne by the betting companies. The cost is going to be borne by society and by the dads and moms like you and I. 100%. And, and, and so um, I don't want to be the grumpy old guy in the balcony saying, I don't want change. We're a show about change. We're a show about innovation. And I don't think these are the right revenue streams um, that these leagues should be tapping. And um, so my third flag of the day, I'm throwing the flag on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that we'll be able to uh, in any way stop it. I think, like I said, the the train has left the station, and I think gambling is uh, here to stay. I, yep. <laughs> I'm I'm not saying this without without I, I you know without any sar- sar- sarcasm whatsoever, but we have a chance to get this right now. <laughs> have we heard this before recently? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and what I what I mean by this, um, there are some proposals and uh, Lord Great is pushing for some of these proposals in the UK. I think we could probably, you know, take some ideas from what, what he's trying to do. But basically, um, some of the things that he's trying to limit is uh, end gambling sports sponsorship. So, you know, no, no longer do you see it on the jerseys, no, no longer can like the name of the, you know, youth club or whatever team include, you know, the, the name of a, of a gambling com- company or have it be like some kind of vi- visible partnership, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's also proposing strict affordability checks on customers, you know, meaning if you're putting a $700 bet, do you have seven, you know, can you afford this, right? Um, a testing regime that uh, uh, that is that bans addictive new games. So as innovation comes into you know how to make this easier, how to you know gamify it more, maybe there are some limitations there. Um, a mandatory levy on fund addiction treatment. So meaning, if you're going to collect bets, you also have to pay into a fund that's going to you know, help with, with these addiction issues. Um, speed of online games reduced to match real casinos. So I don't, I haven't played one of these things. So I don't know how fast these things go, but I guess that's an issue. It sounds like also, so maybe there's a way to like, you know, slow this down where you're just not kind of, you know, losing things out of your control very, very quickly. Um, more controls on free bets. And then I would, you know, also add things like, uh, like, a, like an age age restriction. I, I think, you know, if adults do this, okay, maybe it's a twenty one plus kind of kind of thing. Um, and these would be some things that I would hope that you know, folks in Colorado and other states that are considering this um, would really consider it. Um, I, I think Tennessee just passed a passed an online uh, sports betting law that's going into effect. And the articles that I've read, you know, are all about you know. This has been a great rollout. It's been, you know, good success. You know, we've, you know, it sounds like they're selling like a consumer product versus a vice. Mm. And that just, it's, it's, it's weird. It's awkward to me. Like at the end of the day, money talks. Okay. It does. Um, yeah, it does. M- money talks, you know, whether it's, whether it's big pharma, whether it's big ag, you know, 
uh, whether it's whether it's gambling. At the end of the day, you know, certainly in capitalist Western capitalist society, um, money's number one. Now, how they couch it, how they brand it, um, how they how they spin it, you know, for people like us who are concerned about it, you know, they will find ways to try and make it look less bad than it actually is. You mentioned some of these measures that um, are being proposed. Some of them are actually in play. You know, some of these um, very addictive uh, physical gaming machines, for example, uh, were banned and removed from the physical betting shops that we have here in the UK. There were big earners for some of these betting companies. Okay, And I think first they put limits on the size of each each uh, stake, if you like. Yeah. And I think they just finally got rid of them because it was a big big problem because they were very addictive. I mean, 18 plus for sure here in the UK, you know, you cannot open an online account or, you know, you, your age is typically checked if you walk into a betting store, you have to show your ID mm -hmm. to show that you're over 18. I think if the US can, see, no one should be surprised at the speed with which this is now starting to pervade because these betting companies, a lot of them are global, okay? They operate in markets that you and I, are familiar with, for example, you know, some European countries, certainly in the UK, all right, but they've been circling the US for years because gambling has been around and pervasive on a consumer level here in the UK forever. So I'm sure they've just been biding their time, waiting and waiting for, you know, the door just to creak open uh, a little bit more, a little bit wider, a little bit wider. And they have the technology, they have the marketing plans, they have everything in place already to hit the US hard. You know, uh, if we can at the same time put the curbs and controls and the right measures to to limit and reduce, you know, all the problems that come with gambling at the same time as the introduction of sports betting, which, which as you have said, yeah. is, is on the way. It's not ideal, but it would be it would be a great way to introduce. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and 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 that's my point here, and I'll kind of wrap wrap it up. I mean, my that that's exactly my argument here is that it, it, it it's it's here, it's here to stay, uh, but now we got to think about you know what, how do we put the boundaries around it, how do we frame it so that it doesn't become a a, a huge societal issue like you know meth was or you know other other things like that. Very, very controversial topic. We're going to be talking more. So I was reading an article uh, last week um, about uh, Juventus, uh, currently number one team in Italy and has been over the past decade, um, current home of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. Uh, most of these big European clubs have their own fan TV station. So this might include highlights, it might include uh, live matches of not the first team, but the B team, the second team, you know, the, the, the younger teams, under 19 squad, under 16 squad, exclusive interviews with players, um, you know, weekly wrap-up shows, media talk, that type of thing. Fan TV, essentially. Yeah. Okay. The Juventus have been the first uh, team in the Italian league, Serie A, uh, to um, partner with Amazon uh, and have put the have launched their channel now on the Amazon Prime network uh in Italy. Oh wow. So so for for 3 euros 99 a month which you could probably pay anyway through 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 your own cable package, you could now pay this on top of your annual Amazon Prime subscription and get 
a Juventus's fan channel on the Amazon platform. So, and we already know that Amazon have made some inroads into uh, broadcasting uh, yes. over their network of uh, major sports around the world. I think you gentlemen were telling me uh, earlier this week that Thursday night football. That's right. Um, that's right. Is that is that throughout the season? Is that one one game or no? They a selection pick, of games. A selection. They pick up about eight to twelve of the sixteen game schedule are on Amazon Prime, and it's it's a partnership with Amazon Prime, and then they'll do Fox one week, CBS the next, NFL Network the next. Kind of rotates, but Amazon Prime's at the table too. Right, right. So um, they and and Amazon actually have the rights uh, for Champions League. Um, yeah. in Italy, which is huge. I mean, Champions League is the preeminent, you know, club soccer competition globally. Yeah, right. Um, they have some, they've picked up the rights to some Premier League matches, some regular Premier League matches around uh, around two or three times of the year uh, here in the UK. Um, they have rights. Uh, so when I meant Champions League, they have the rights in Germany uh for champions league okay not italy i should say and that's probably even a bigger market right german soccer is considered to be probably a little bit a little bit um more powerful if you like at the moment than italian football absolutely Bayern yeah. munich Bayern munich are current european champions right you know there's some big teams in germany so this really begs the question now where are we headed with uh live sports broadcasting definitely T- typically we've we've had to pay uh, for a sports package, typically on top of our you know regular cable bundle, uh, you know in order to to watch the teams that we want to watch, to watch the sports that we want to watch, mm-hmm. uh, whether they be live, you know, or or, or near live. Um, but now with the internet, um, does everything just become on demand? You know, like Narcos or Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, you know, are these major IP based uh, media corporations, the the current and future purveyors of uh, live sport. I, I'd love love to hear what's going on in the U.S. right now. Yeah, there's. I think there's so many moving parts here that we probably can't do justice to the full landscape. But let's look at some of the big boulders. You just had the NBA playoffs on the court, sponsored by YouTube TV, just front and center, right across the midcourt line. Every third commercial was either gambling or YouTube TV <laughs> for on the TV broadcast. And, um, and just to add to that, Mike, aren't they also uh, the naming rights company for SoFi, right? They have a partnership with SoFi down in Los Angeles with with Cronky Sports and the new premier NFL stadium. And they're in the game. They're not nibbling at it. They're in it. They're trying to get a seat at the big boy table. And, and I'd argue they already have secured it. And they're there and they're going to be a player in any of these new deals that negotiating uh that they'll be negotiated over these coming years because you've got nba deal coming up then you got nfl deal in about two years uh baseball has its own profile but anon where you seated us with this thing happening at juve there in italy is that um you can also now get some of these um, I'd, I'd call it kind of a second tier type of content that's outside yep. the game, that's around mm-hmm. the game and, mm-hmm. and then charge a subscription around that. And we have that regionally across this country where they might go through our regional sports networks or you might have a, you know, a highlight show for the week that only plays in a regional market. But you know these are going to come as 
little channels through a YouTube TV or they're going to come through an Amazon and they're just going to be new revenue streams for these guys. And I want to pause and I'll tell you about something here in a minute, but Vlad, what are some of your other angles you're seeing here in the domestic market? Yeah. So my background is in media and, you know, uh, content is king. And so what I think these leagues have is content. Um, we've gone from, you know, a very finite number of, you know, TV networks, channels, national mm -hmm. networks, whatever, to now a, a more broader group of, you know, outlets, if you will. I'll call them yes. outlets, essentially, because that's, that's, that's what they are. And each of them, each of them is looking for content. And, and so you're going to see uh, this, you know, promulgation of, you know, Amazon, well, let me buy, you know, 10 games from you and five games from here and eight games from here. And, you know, the league... Um, you know, loves this. If 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 they could put every one of these matches on some kind of a auction platform, right? This is this is this is ideal, right? Because they they get to you know maximize maximize revenue. Um, another part of this, which which you guys are talking about, and Anand, which which you brought up with this sort of you know three ninety nine euros uh, for the for the fan channel. I I think I think the clubs are also getting smart about it, and and they're thinking about okay. How can we disintermediate ourselves from just selling, you know, the the butts in seats in our stadium? What what about digital butts in digital seats? You know, can we get get away from, you know, just you know two times a week or one time a week people coming into our stadium? Can we right. also monetize that, you know, um, you know throughout? And I think you're going to start seeing that a, a, a lot more. Yeah, I just have one more that we have domestically, and maybe there's a there's a format uh, internationally, and that is we have what are RSNs, regional sports networks, and they are rapidly fading into the West here, um, as they've lost a lot of strength in the marketplace. And and what they were trying to do was they were trying to get in with the big Comcast bundle, the big Spectrum, big Time Warner, and be in the main bundle, not to be in the sports package. And so often they're getting pushed out into the sports package. And then they don't get nearly the revenue they had before. They've made the argument that we're trying to be in with the total package. And I'm living in a market here uh, that, that the Nuggets and the, the Avalanche both were on, on, on Altitude TV and then Comcast booted them out. DirecTV booted them out. Their contracts expired and they had this big stalemate. And we went a whole year with not a single local broadcast of either of those major teams. And they were both top three or four in their respective conferences. And we're seeing that across this country where regional sports networks are on the decline. Um, and I wonder if there's a story around that internationally where new players are kind of elbowing their way and they're, they're, they're knocking out regional sports guys. They're knocking out these major networks that have been at the table for 50 years here at CBS and, and maybe over for you at Sky and other guys. But um, it, it's a new landscape and, and they're, it's, it's active. Anand, is, is pay-per-view prominent in uh, English soccer? Are, are you are you seeing offers for you know pay-per-view for certain matches there? Um, I, I will I will answer that question for you um, uh, right after. I, I just wanted to um, oh, sorry expand on a point that no 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 no, I, no that's a great question. But I just wanted to pick up on a point that Mike made about. Um, I mean I'm I'm I don't know if I should be shocked shocked or, or sad that you said you didn't you had a year without. A local broadcast of your local team. Yep. So you live in this market and you couldn't watch live games that's right. uh, of your local team. That doesn't, you know, that that's crazy. Yes, now that's this right. doesn't. Ha this happens in the UK for a completely different reason, um, which which we won't get into right now. But 
the way I look at the and and Vlad also you made the point about the the auction for the rights to uh the broadcast rights for these matches right for these league games well you know their argument is hey there's more choice you can watch on Amazon you can watch on Comcast or you can watch on Sky you can watch on this you know this network well hold on a minute Previously, there was one company with the rights, and I paid one fee a month to watch right. these games. Right now, you guys are chopping up the pie into two, three, and four pieces. If I want to watch my team play or watch any particular game for that matter, I now have to pay multiple subscriptions. Right. So, how is it that the consumer is actually winning here? Yes, the league is winning yep. because it becomes there are more players now bidding for the rights. Yep. It is it is very much an auction, okay? It's a multi-billion dollar auction each round every time. Um, so your Colorado market, you guys lost out because you didn't we get did. to watch your games. We did. Consumers lost. We lose because we have to pay more to watch effectively the same amount of games. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm a fan of a particular team, well, hey, you know what? The Premier League has given the matches for that team to three different broadcasters, BT Sport, Sky Sports, and Amazon. So I have to be a prime customer um, if I want to watch the Amazon game, and I've got to pay for an extra sports package. So yeah. I think the consumer loses here. On the point of pay-per-view, this became a very controversial subject very recently because obviously no one's going into stadiums now. Yeah. Um, and the league, you could say, was actually quite kind in a way to uh, the supporters of all the clubs once the league resumed uh, when it was safe to do so at the end of the last Premier League season. I'm talking about Premier League here. Uh, and I think for the start of this season, where they broadcast, I think, nearly every game yeah. without additional cost yeah. across um, the existing rights holders network. So Sky Sports, BT Sports, and Amazon, they got more games yeah. that, that they would not otherwise have broadcasted. But in their infinite wisdom, they decided, okay, July, August, September, that's what we're going to do. October, hey, you know what? We're going to cut back on all those games that are now included in your paid package. I can't call them free because they're not free, but you're going to have to pay £15 if you want to watch certain games. Huge outcry. Um, you know, the fans said, you know, we're not standing for this greed. Okay, you guys make enough money without necessarily knowing the real economics of what's going on, you know, in pandemic times. And the take up was very low. It was it was pretty much you know uh, uh, a loss making activity for these guys. Hmm. Uh, most fans actually gave money to charity because wow. the people are suffering <laughs> okay. right now. Yeah. Right. People are suffering, and there, there were these big initiatives, yeah. um, you know, through social media to say, hey, you know what? Rather than pay fifteen pounds to watch your team this weekend, boycott the game. Don't wow. watch the game. Listen on the radio, but put fifteen pounds into the local food bank. Interesting. There's a big, there's a big problem right now with people not having enough to eat. Yeah, so so Here, so there is so country. so there is a limit. It sounds like right, and it and it sounds like they yeah. really got to that line in the in the UK. They're going to count it. Yeah, interesting. They interesting. They but blank. the thing is now getting back to this point about disintermediation. You touched on it right now, Vlad. Do the leagues even need the broadcasters anymore? You know the, the 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 outlets that you said the Netflix the Amazons the Facebooks you know these big networks where where they have millions of consumers as captive audience you know that might be Microsoft that might be Apple you know Apple's got the the hardware 
the content and the distribution yeah. mechanism, yeah. right? So they should be in on this game. Facebook should be on this game because over a billion people have got Facebook accounts. Right? Facebook already is, if I'm not mistaken. I think they had some uh, uh, last year or the year before. They actually did do some uh, broadcasting, so they're they're already on right, it too. Right. So why don't these leagues just go direct to the consumer? right? Everyone's got an internet connection. Everyone's got a phone. They've got a laptop. They've got, you know, a, a, an Apple TV or a Chromecast device. Why do they even need these guys? Because ultimately we're paying the full amount. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, they can sell, they can sell their own ads, you know, and with, with, with digital, they can, they can frame, you know, some ads in the corner. They can, they can sell the clock. They can sell, you know, these virtual, what do you call them? Those layovers that you get when the ads are, are placed on on the field, yeah, yeah, and it looks like it's actually painted on, but yeah. it's but it's you know actually it's Photoshop on, just on the screen, la right? Lack of a better phrase. So they could do that themselves. So this this whole over the top, cut out the middleman, disintermediate. Um, uh, I, I think I think these leagues will ultimately have uh, a bundle. They will do some through the broadcasters some through these new outlets and they'll go direct for some other. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly possible. And I, I think where I, I don't see them doing that, at least in the U.S. for now, is that it's easier to deal with, you know, let's say 10 companies than, you know, 100 million fans, right? And those companies already have the infrastructure to distribute that information and they just receive kind of one check, right? Versus yeah, having to point. deal with with all, all kinds of sort of one-on-one -on -one deals. Um, yep. But at the same time, they probably will look at disintermediation. Um, you know, Pac-12 has its own network, right? Uh, I'm sure. Uh, I think the SEC does as well. They all. I think all the, the Big, big East, do. Big Ten, yep. probably. They're all. They're ACC. all creating their own content, effectively, yes. right? And right now, right. they're you know pushing it, uh, you know, on channel 1385 on your you know Xfinity package or you know whatever. But they could easily, you know, if somebody all of a sudden is interested in, you know, women's volleyball, they can just carve all of that out and say, okay, here's all of our women's volleyball matches, right? Um, and and they have an audience for it that'll pay, you know, ten bucks a month or ten bucks per game or whatever, right? Um, that's that's coming, I think. I think maybe we're just not sort of maybe mentally there or from a platform perspective quite quite there yet. But I can see it coming. Yeah, I like Donan's point that, that I think we're going to see here domestically that he's seeing overseas is that while the um, the, the storyline around folks cutting the cord, that you can get all these different services, in the end, our monthly bill is very fragmented and may add up to a higher amount. Then we've got to play um, find a game when it's that week's game. Where do I watch it this week? And, and then ultimately um, – this space will let's go through a business cycle. It'll ultimately consolidate again and probably just go through all these different plays. Right. So uh, new players are, are going to push them out and maybe the new guys we're going to start watching are, are Amazon, Facebook and Apple instead of watching CBS, Fox and, and ESPN or whomever else today. So I guess it comes down to the deepest pockets. Right. Because if I'm if I'm the rights holder, if I'm the league. Yeah you know, uh, who's going to pay me the most. Whoever has the I larger hate. margin, whoever has a larger margin is going to pay you the most. And right now the this traditional broadcasters are suffering because advertising suffering. revenue is way, way yeah. down. Way down. But way Amazon's down. business is going gangbusters. Apple's business is going gangbusters. They can afford to spend, you know, a hundred million on a show or a hundred million on a, on a season for a sport mm. that, you know, the network might be just, ah, we just can't swing that anymore. Sure. I guess it's going to come down to, I mean, it, it suggests, again, big tech is going to, 
muscle in eventually as Quite they possibly. seem to be doing they seem to be doing in all aspects of our lives all right in the digital entertainment world they are they are key key players for sure i just i just don't think consumers should be forced to pay more for what is essentially the same thing following your sports team enjoying <laughs> the game live you know not everyone can get to the stadium uh we'll see we'll see it's a very right. very interesting and fast moving space well, thank you, Anand. Uh, guys, I think we're, we've kind of hit the, uh, the last portion of this week's show. Um, I've got to come on, man, if you guys are ready. You guys ready for this? Let's do it. Always ready. Always ready. Okay. We're going we're gonna to bring the two. Uh, we're going to bring uh, Europe and U.S. together one more time in this chat as we compare across the pond. So, uh, Anand, you're, you're familiar with the concept of re- relegation, but for most of our U.S. fans, we, we don't have anything like relegation here in, in the States. And for just a quick little, um, quick little um, snippet on how that works is for U.S. fans, if you finish in the bottom two, three slots in a league, you drop down to effectively the minors. We call it the minors here in the States. And the top two or three teams in the minors, the top minors, they get promoted up to the top level. And I'm going to throw something at you guys that I think is going to be uh, a little fun comparison. So imagine in this most recent NBA season, imagine if the NBA had relegation. So what we would have (laughs) here, guys, if we imagine the NBA having relegation, the bottom three teams were the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Golden State Warriors. And if we'd have had relegation, the Golden State Warriors – Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. Imagine Draymond Green getting relegated. And instead of playing the LA Lakers, he'd be playing the South Bay Lakers. Instead of playing the Phoenix Suns, he'd play the Northern Arizona Suns. He'd play the Agua Caliente Clippers. Um, I think a top rivalry would emerge with the Iowa Wolves. Don't sleep on the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. The Golden State Warriors would be trolling in the G League if we'd have had relegation. Yeah. And, and oh, but no, there's the other side. Who would have been promoted? So then we would have been watching the Wisconsin Herd. We would have been watching the Salt Lake City Stars and the Canton Charge as they would have been promoted <laughs> to the NBA. Guys, I'm guessing relegation's not coming to the U.S. Uh, yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. Although, although I would argue, I would argue it would actually do good to the sport. I think one of the things that we talked about, you know, the valuation we were talking about, the Utah Jazz being sold last week and how the valuation of these sports teams has not, you know, has only been going up. I think only going if, up, if all of a sudden up. you're relegated, guess what? There might be some opportunities for acquisition here to go back into the top league and, uh, you know, work, work, work your Can way you up. Imagine? Um so that actually might be a call for innovation, Mike. I, I think uh, I think we should push for that. Push for relegation well, Steph, in the Steph, NBA. Steph Curry might uh, might take another stab at the PGA Tour. Yeah, he or, might say tap uh, or out. Or he may buy the Golden State Warriors, right? <laughs> <laughs> and just just one small point I do want to mention, Mike, is you asked you said if I was familiar with relegation. Um, I suppose as a concept, I I am, but I'm a Liverpool supporter, and um, in my lifetime, I don't think uh, we'll ever be facing any relegation. Oh, there you go. Well, I'll throw this at you with another big sixteen, the Arsenal, or one of the others that have never been. Yeah, that's true. So, very true. Very so true. Uh, love that. Good great, one, great Mike. Point. I enjoyed that. That's good. Good. All good. right, guys. Fun show. Good job. Thank you. Thank you all for listening again. Um, if you like the show, please subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, write a review, and send us a comment about our show and other topics that we could cover. Guys, good show. Good show. Good game. See you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.